Our gospel reading today, according to the witness of St. Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning at verse 24, Jesus is speaking to us here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. When I was 27 years old, just a few years ago, I was serving my very first congregation in the Commonwealth of Virginia, fresh out of seminary. And during that first year of my uh, ordained ministry there, I talked a few of the men into starting with me a Saturday morning Bible and breakfast group. And we did that because many of the guys in that congregation had told me they had friends with whom they golfed, who lived in their neighborhood, uh, co-workers that um, just weren't interested in coming to church, putting on a coat and tie on Sunday morning. But they thought these men might be interested if I, the new pastor, would lead a a brief Bible study. They said, not too long, pastor. And then we could also serve a a good breakfast, you know, with Virginia ham, Jimmy Dean, sausage, fried eggs. And pastor, you know, the men should be allowed to come in uh, blue jeans and t-shirts and sweatshirts, you know, Saturday morning, you know, attire. And so we did. We started that um, Saturday morning group in the hope that men who weren't, at least initially, very interested in church uh, might be led to Christ to establish the church in that um, casual environment. And so we prayed over that ministry before we launched it, and we, we trusted God to touch the hearts and, and open the minds of those men, as many of them were reading the Bible for the first time in their lives. We had to gift some of those men uh, with Bibles because they'd never previously owned one. We didn't have a commercial-grade kitchen like the awesome kitchen we've got here at Faith, and we sure didn't have a kitchen staff like our very own Linda and Susie. So once we started this ministry, it was my job to recruit some fellows who would join me at 6 a.m. to start cooking all that food on on two or three little skillets on our tiny little stove, uh, preparing all all the good food for the men who would show up two hours later. It was then in my very first year of ministry, I learned something very important that I didn't learn in college or grad school. And it was something I learned that's not just good knowledge for pastors, it's good for any of us 
anyone in any situation, for any of us who dare to uh, think outside the box, people don't always like it when you try something different or something new. You might even be criticized. And I got plenty of criticism for starting that Saturday morning breakfast. One of the loudest critics was a woman who came into me to see me one, one weekday, and her face was all scrunched up, and she was just pointing her finger and just, you know, my husband, why well, he never gets up on Saturday morning to make breakfast for me, but you, you start this men's breakfast, and he's just willing to be out the door at 5.30 a.m. to be with you at 6 a.m. I just said, I can't imagine why he would not want to be at home with you making <laughs> breakfast. But some of the people were concerned, and they told me so, that I was, um, I was making it too easy for those outsiders by allowing them to come in you know, blue jeans and t-shirts and by cooking breakfast. I mean, who doesn't like having breakfast prepared for them, Pastor? How easy are you going to make it on them? They should make their own breakfast and they should wear a coat and tie and show up here on Sunday morning like responsible adults do. But you see, these critics were missing the point entirely. Uh, These men, for a whole host of reasons, at least initially, weren't interested in church. And one of the reasons I heard over and over again is some of those men thought that church people could be rather harsh and judgmental. I found that highly ironic. But by God's grace, many men who started attending those breakfast meetings came to faith in Jesus Christ. I baptized several of them. And then I baptized some of their wives and many of their children. People who'd never been part of a Christian congregation before. They weren't raised in church homes like many of you. That simple little Bible and breakfast group provided them with a chance to meet Jesus, to experience Christian fellowship, what we call koinonia, with other men of faith. And then as the years went by, I learned that many of those men went on to lead Bible studies in that congregation. Some even served on church council. It's an amazing thing what happens when God's Word gets... uh, a hold of someone, when someone encounters Christ for the first time as he speaks to us in the Holy Scriptures. One Saturday morning, I was leading a Bible study. Uh, That was my job. I was the Bible study leader. And we heard the same gospel reading, Matthew 7, the same verses that you just heard a moment ago. And what I did back then was uh, instead of just marching right into a, you know, a pastor-led Bible study, I would ask the men just for their initial thoughts, their reactions. And I said, don't worry about sounding intellectual or coming up with the right theological answer. Just, just gut, reaction, gut reaction. You know, how, how, how does this text make you feel? What comes to mind when you hear Jesus speaking in these words? And one guy who worked in retail said, You see, even Jesus knew it long ago, way back whenever. It's all about location, location, location. (laughs) And then another fellow who worked in commercial uh, 
contracting said, yeah, it's more than that. It's not just location. He said, it's foundation, foundation, foundation. And, and then a third gentleman who had been a school teacher at one point, but then was working for a major um, textbook company that prepared books for public schools, said, you're, you're both wrong. It's about education, education, education. And then I remember, in the midst of all the good-hearted laughter, a fourth man said, well, actually, it's more than location and foundation and education. It's application. If you don't apply what you learn from Jesus, it won't do you much good. Now, this man was not a church-going fella quite yet. This was just weeks into our ministry. And didn't he speak a profound word of truth as God's word was working its way in his mind? I'm not going to ask you to shout out your initial reactions to the text this morning. But as you think of Jesus and as you hear his word today, what are your reactions to him talking about the, the wise man the foolish man. How does that make you feel? What images come to mind when you consider what the Lord is telling us? Oh, with authority. <laughs> as you think on those things, as you meditate on the word of the Lord, I hope throughout the afternoon into the evening, the, the coming week, here's some things I'd at least like you to consider and, and pray over as we contemplate what Jesus would have us learn from this, uh, this text. Most of the time when we think about the Word of God, we think of it, right, as, as the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. Some of us learned that in Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And that's true. We think of the Word of God as the words we see printed on, on the Bible when we open it, or if we're using a handheld device, it's the words that are there as we scroll through the text. And all that's true. But Jesus says that we are to be doing the Word. The Word is something we do. And in some of your translations, that might be rendered that we act on. This should sound familiar at least to those of you who've been worshiping here for a while, in every celebration of holy baptism, whether it's a, a senior citizen, a teenager, or a, a child in arms, we hear these words, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It's the doing of those good works that we become word doers. We do the word to honor God and, and make his word known, to do that word in a world that's in desperate need of grace and mercy and the truth of the gospel. And we do good works, not to rack up points, you know, so that they'll have to let us in heaven someday. And we do those good works not to make ourselves look, you know, good among others, but we do that to glorify the Lord and when God is glorified by our doing of the word, others get to see a little glimpse of heaven. 
the goodness, the love, the grace, the mercy, the forbearance of God at work in the world through your simple acts of mercy and discipleship. That's how the kingdom breaks into troubled lives and this sinful world. So maybe take some questions with you into the new week. How can you do, how can you continue doing the word in your life, in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood? As we move into this eighth month of COVID restrictions here in New Mexico, and all that that means socially, economically, politically, how can we continue doing the word even in, especially in, times like this when so many people are so afraid, so scared, so worried, and even so angry? And then Jesus tells us something that I think is critical, essential to remember as believers. And it's what I describe as um, the storms of life. The foolish man and the wise man each had to deal with the rains, the floods, the pounding winds, right? The wise man, doing the word, (laughs) was not immune from the bad things that can happen in life. Uh, God didn't say, well, you're wise, and because of your wisdom, I'm going to place you in this Holy Spirit protective bubble where nothing bad will ever happen to you. Friends, there is a counterfeit gospel that's being proclaimed in many places and by many so-called pastors that ignores this truth. And if you listen to these wolves in sheep's clothing, they would have you believe that if you are good enough and if you are faithful enough and if you love God enough, then, um, then bad things will not happen to you. No heartache, no disappointment, no loss, no sickness, no tragedy. There'll be no storms in your life, just uh, blue skies and sunshiny days. And conversely, those same counterfeit pastors will tell you that when you do experience loss and heartache and disappointment, well then, you had it coming. It's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't pray enough. You didn't pray the right way. You see, you don't deserve good things because you haven't been good enough. And lest you think that counterfeit gospel is just out there, I can tell you that having been with you so many years in this community, it's, it's sneaky, that counterfeit gospel. It likes to work its way into our thinking and even the life of our congregation I've had people here at Faith even ask me, why would God do that to him? He's such a good man. Why would the Lord allow her to experience so much pain and suffering? She leads Bible study. She's a good Christian. You see how that thinking enters in? Our God is a God of life who wants us all to have spiritual health and vitality. 
Our God is not a God who sits on a throne far removed saying, let's see, cancer. Well, 72,000 people have to get that today, so let's see. No, yeah. I think you deserve it. No, our God does not operate that way. Our Lord does not delight in the death of our sons and daughters. Our God does not decide, well, let's see, what's the quota today? Who needs to get zapped with heart disease, a stroke, a car accident? Remember one of the names that we were told? That is Jesus when he came to earth as Mary's infant child, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Our God is the God of life who is with us in times of joy and times of sorrow, when skies are blue and when the storms of life are raging around us. Our God is the God who stoops low. He weeps with us when we weep and He rejoices with us when we rejoice. All of us, those who seek to be wise and those who are being foolish, all of us together live in this sin-sick, broken world that is in need of redemption and renewal. Jesus came not just to save your soul and mine, but to save a world, a cosmos, an entire creation that has fallen from God's original plan and good purpose. And until Christ comes again to restore all creation, a new heaven and a new earth, to God's original glory, then we will experience, all of us, these storms around us and within us. And just like the wise man who built his spiritual home on the solid rock of God's love and truth, we know that um, the storms don't have the final word. When we try to build our lives and our hope on the God who cares for us, then we will not be destroyed and, and things will not come crashing down even when we suffer sickness and hardship and disease and persecution and even when we die. Because that's not the end of the story for those in Christ. We gathered outside the sanctuary at the Columbarium yesterday to celebrate Bob Anderson's life. Not just his 90 years on planet Earth, but his eternal life that began when he was joined to Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So remember this, your eternal life has already begun. It doesn't start when someone gives your family a death certificate. Our God is the God of life, and not even death can separate us from our Father in heaven. And lastly, as we think on the Word of God, we need to remember what the crowds there experienced firsthand. Whoa! Whoo! This one teaches with authority. The people were astounded. The way he taught, the way he spoke. He's got more authority than our scribes, our religious leaders. Well, Jesus did have authority. Jesus does have authority. Because he's not just another nice guy, a wise teacher, or, um, or prophet. He is God. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. Of course he has authority. Of course he speaks with power. And the one who speaks to you about the storms that can batter and assault you, the bad things that happen to you and me, well, he's the same one who allowed himself to be battered and beaten. Huh? He's the same one who went the way of the cross. And he was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. And look what this world did to him. Jesus walked the talk of his truth. He trusted the Father, even when he was betrayed, even as he was suffering a brutal, humiliating death. We are loved. You are loved by a Savior who knows firsthand what it feels like to be alone, naked, vulnerable, forsaken, what it feels like to suffer physically and emotionally. And Jesus knows what you experience, what you're experiencing now, how you're feeling, what you're dealing with. He knows how you suffer. He knows how you experience joy. He knows you. He loves you. And he invites you to build your life, your hope, your future on something real, something solid, something, the only thing that will last forever. His kingdom. His truth. His righteousness. It's been a long time since those Saturday morning breakfast and Bible meetings in my first church. It makes my head spin when I think how much the world has changed in just those 36 years. It makes my head spin to think how much our world has changed just in the last eight months. But some things haven't changed. And some things won't change. The world still needs Jesus. People still need to experience the life-giving power of forgiveness. People still need to be loved. And people in despair need hope. People still need to see the light of those who do the word. <laughs> they need a little glimpse of heaven. They need you, who are of Christ and in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.